You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The city of Pensacola is hit hard by an unspecified cyber attack. Ryuk ransomware decryptors may cause data loss. A new variant of Snatch ransomware evades antivirus protection. The U.S. Justice Department's Inspector General has reported on the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Another unsecured database exposes PII. Keep an eye out for Patch Tuesday updates. And it's prediction season, so CyberScoop lets the bots out. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, December 11th, 2019. The city of Pensacola, Florida, has disconnected most of its networks in response to a cyber attack that hit over the weekend. The attack began early Saturday, the Pensacola News Journal says, hours after a Saudi military pilot undergoing training at Pensacola Naval Air Station murdered three U.S. sailors and was subsequently shot by local police. The timing of the cyber attack raised speculation that it might be connected to the shooting, which, according to the New York Times, authorities are investigating as a possible terrorist incident. But so far, no such links have been found. The motivation behind the cyber attack remains unclear. The city hasn't said, for example, whether it's received ransom demands. The city has said that no personal information appears to have been compromised, but the investigation is still young and still ongoing. Pensacola is working with the FBI on the case. The decryption specialists at MSISoft warn that the criminal provided Ryuk ransomware decryptors may damage larger files. The decryptor truncates big files, and MSISoft finds that this can result in unrecoverable data loss. Decrypt if you must, but better to restore from secure backups, and better yet to avoid infection in the first place. While we're on the subject of ransomware, researchers at security firm Sophos Labs report finding an evolved version of Snatch ransomware that avoids some antivirus protections by causing Windows to reboot in safe mode. The U.S. Justice Department late yesterday released its Inspector General's report on the FBI's 2016 Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Crossfire Hurricane was open to look into allegations of Russian influence in President Trump's campaign. As the Washington Post summarizes the report, the IG found that the FBI had grounds to open an investigation, but that the investigation itself was marred by serious failures. Those failures are particularly evident, NBC News says, in the way the FBI obtained and used FISA warrants and in its handling and assessment of confidential human sources. 
Reading through the report, we see that the most prominent confidential human source mentioned, or CHS, as the IG teaches us to call such persons, is Christopher Steele, the British national who provided the compromat of the Steele dossier to various parties, including opposition research shop Fusion GPS. The FBI cited information from Steele in its application for a FISA warrant to surveil Carter Page, then a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. The process of obtaining a FISA warrant requires that the request be based on verified information. That verification, according to the IG, was less than fully successful. In one instance, for example, the Bureau submitted a Yahoo News article in verification of some of Steele's claims, without noting that the article was based on information from Steele. With apologies to Ludwig Wittgenstein, this is a little like buying a second copy of a newspaper to confirm the stories you read in your first copy. The IG found that the process of securing the warrant was marred by serious performance failures by the supervisory and non-supervisory agents with responsibility over the FISA applications. Page, the IG report says, did indeed have contact with Russian intelligence officers, but he did so with the knowledge of an unnamed U.S. agency he was providing information. That agency, Page has said, was the CIA. In general, the report suggests that the inquiry was handled carelessly, and under the spell of the sort of targeted fixation investigative agencies frequently tempted. There's no finding of political bias in the Bureau, but those disposed to look for it will find, indeed have already found, plenty of circumstantial evidence of it, mostly surrounding eagerness to swallow the steel dossier hook, line, and sinker. Those disposed to dismiss political bias are focusing on the IG's finding that the FBI had grounds to start an investigation. The FBI immediately accepted the report's recommendations and says it's moving to strengthen applicable procedures and oversight mechanisms. Application security firm Vericode recently published the latest update to their State of Software Security report. Chris Wysopal is CTO and co-founder at Vericode, and he takes us through their findings. Customers that scan their software for vulnerabilities on a more frequent basis end up fixing vulnerabilities a lot faster. So it shows that just a process change can lead to more secure software. So based on what you gathered here in this report, what are your recommendations? Yeah, so the recommendation is to make a cultural change of um, not having a separate security team be the people that test software, decide what to fix, and then essentially harangue the development team to fix issues not on the development team's you know, schedule or when it's best for them. The recommendation is to get uh, management in the development organization to take ownership for this and use as evidence things like the State of Software Security Report, which says you're going to have much more secure software actually with less effort. It's going to be easier for you to produce more secure software and get that buy-in at the executive team and then push it all the way down to the individual development teams where they will take ownership for securing the software and the security team then becomes a consultant. They become someone that helps this process work, but they're not there in the daily meetings saying, you know, should we fix this bug anymore? The security team takes ownership of that and gets trained to have some expertise so they actually know um, what they're doing then they build it into their process, and they think about getting it better and better over time. 
Was there anything uh, in the report that was surprising to you? Any unexpected results that came through? Well, we did something which was a little different this time, which was we didn't just look at how often scanning was done. We looked at the pattern of the scanning. So was it steady? Was it on a daily basis, a weekly basis? Was it irregular? Was it something where it would seem haphazard? Like, why are they scanning now? And, and why is there a lot of intense scanning over this period? Or what we called bursty, which was long periods of time where no scanning activity happens, then a month or two of intense scanning activity, and then a long period of time with none. And that kind of showed us that they were scanning only as they got close to the release cycle. And mm -hmm. uh, we didn't know what to expect from breaking development teams into those three categories, steady, irregular, and bursty. So the recommendation is scan on a steady basis or even in a regular basis, but don't go long periods of time without scanning. That almost guarantees your product is going to be less secure. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, the, the frantic cleaning of the house that takes place before, you know, Thanksgiving or when family's coming over and you, you, when you haven't done it in a while, you start throwing things into closets and you pay for it later. Absolutely. I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> At the high level, when we say like, you know, is software, you know, getting more secure or, or less secure? Um, we just saw over the 10 year period that we've been doing it, a lot of vulnerabilities that are well known, like SQL injection, are sort of at the same percentage rate that they were 10 years ago. We had 23% of apps 10 years ago had one or more SQL injection vulnerabilities. And here in 2019, 24% of apps have one or more SQL injection vulnerabilities. So it's crazy to think that if you look, zoom out and look at the big picture, not much has changed as far as, you know, are people fixing these problems or not, or, or introducing these problems. So we still have a lot of work to do as an industry. And we hope that these recommendations that come out of the report where we see what, you know, particular development teams are doing really well, we can percolate that through the industry so that becomes the average way of doing things. And, you know, everyone gets better, not just these teams that have a great process. That's Chris Wysopal from Veracode. The day now seems somehow incomplete without news that a misconfigured cloud database has exposed a great deal of personal information, and today, unfortunately, is complete. TechCrunch reports that the British penetration company Fidus has found another one, it's an AWS bucket belonging to a company that TechCrunch and Fidus declined to name. The company's business is the processing of applications for copies of U.S. birth certificates. The exposed database holds more than 750,000 applications. Such applications contain a considerable amount of personally identifiable information, including, according to TechCrunch's look at the material, the applicant's name, date of birth, current home address, email address, phone number, and historical personal information, including past addresses, names of family members, and the reason for the application, such as applying for a passport or researching family history. That's a lot. Amazon said it would notify the unnamed company whose bucket it is that needs to, well, do something about it. Today, of course, is Patch Tuesday, so be on the lookout for updates from Microsoft and Adobe, expected sometime this afternoon. We'll have notes on the fixes tomorrow. And finally, it's also prediction season, and the cybersecurity industry has been busy making them. We do link to those in our daily news briefing, and we encourage those interested to look there for the sector's virtual crystal ball. But we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one outstanding and very funny aggregation of 2020 forecasts. It's in CyberScoop, and by all means, give it a look.
The publication decided to turn the AI loose on the predictions to glom them all together. And they didn't stop there, either. They let the bots do the writing, too. As the editor says in her disclaimer, the article is all generated through Markov chains and is only super lightly edited for clarity. Those Markov chains are rattling better than the cash boxes that encumbered Jacob Marley when he visited Ebenezer Scrooge. Their most insightful prediction, we thought, was prediction number eight. More security officers will get worse. Tell it, brothers and sisters. We particularly liked the way the bots attributed a quotation to Karl von Clausewitz at the end of every section, a riff on his famous dictum that war is the continuation of politics by other means. A few of our favorites were... War is merely the continuation of the evolution in cloud security, or war is merely the only way to monetizing IoT network attacks, and war is merely the marketing deployed. So bravo, CyberScoop, and do go read the whole thing. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's the Program Director for Public Policy and External Affairs at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, great to have you back. Good to be here with you, Dave. Interesting article. This is uh, from The Verge. Uh, Something you and I have touched on over on the Caveat Podcast, but there's some specifics here I wanted to dig in for our audience. And this has to do with whether or not you have a right to sue Facebook and, and other online platforms and some legislation that's being uh, cooked up to address this sort of thing. What's going on here? So there was some promise uh, in the past several months that there could be bipartisan agreement on federal data privacy legislation. This has been a long-running problem. We have this patchwork of state laws and some federal regulations that apply to data privacy, but we don't have uniform federal legislation. So Mm -hmm. a couple of key senators 
uh, the United States Senate, a Democrat, uh, Maria Cantwell of Washington, a Republican, Roger Wicker of Mississippi, have been trying to work on a bipartisan solution to this problem. And mm. I think there is general bipartisan interests in the skeleton of such a bill Okay, uh, in terms of you know some of the things we all agree on, like giving the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, enforcement authority on data privacy violations. Hmm. But a big source of disagreement is giving consumers, users, a private right of action against the big tech companies. What does that mean? So this would allow a legal cause of action for any user of any one of these sites or any one of these technological devices to directly sue that company for damages. Hmm. So oftentimes you'll see legislation that bans a private right of action where the legislation will explicitly say an individual doesn't have standing to sue you know, on the basis of a violation of this statute. Hmm. Uh, what Senator Cantwell's proposal would say is that users do have legal standing to sue if they are alleging that their data has been compromised by one of these companies. You know, So the positives would be having a private right of action gives these tech companies, the Twitters and Facebooks of the world, more of an incentive to protect user data. If they're fearful about getting sued, you know, they might hire more compliance officers to make sure that they're complying uh, with this federal statute. Mm -hmm. The downside, which is something that Senator Wicker uh, and other Republicans have talked about, is that this could lead to a flood of lawsuits. And when a similar standard, a similar private right of action was applied to the telecommunications companies back in the 90s, it did lead to a lot of lawsuits, hundreds hmm. of thousands of them. A corollary to that argument, Senator Wicker's argument, which I think has a lot of merit to it, is Facebook and Twitter, you know, they have the resources to respond to lawsuits. They're mm -hmm. wealthy companies. Mark Zuckerberg can hire the best lawyers in the country. Jack Dorsey probably could too. Um, you know, it, the resources are just not going to be a problem for them, even if they're sued by millions of users, if there are a bunch of class action lawsuits. Mm. That's not true for some of these smaller companies. Lawsuits could drive them out of business. Uh, and, hmm. you know, so this might be a regulation that or, or a, uh, a change in the law that actually would benefit big tech companies at the expense of the smaller guys out there. Could keep the smaller guys from establishing a foothold in the market even. You know, exactly. Because a, because a big burden. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. compliance would just be far more expensive. Right. Uh, and there would constantly be this threat of litigation so that might impact somebody developing a new technology where you know or a new interface where they're not entirely clear if there are robust data protections maybe the company decides not to go through with that because it's too expensive to try to comply with these new federal regulations hmm. so the upshot of this you know senator wicker claimed as part of this article that he doesn't think this dispute on a private right of action is going to derail the entire effort to have a federal data privacy bill. Mm. I think Senator Cantwell has has also signaled an openness to having legislation that does not have this private right of action. This is just going to be part of ongoing uh, negotiations. Um, there are certainly legitimate positives and negatives for that particular provision, but it's something uh, that's going to have to be worked out in the United States Senate. All right. Those gears keep turning, right? Absolutely. They always are. Although we don't usually associate the United States Senate with gears turning. The gears are grinding Sand very slowly. Monkey wrenches and yeah, exactly. rust on the gears. It is, yeah. the, it is the cooling saucer, <laughs> as they say, of our democracy. Yes. yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Yellen, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.